0: You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. uh, Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. And following after the pattern of this entire sermon series, I've titled today's sermon, Uh, Marriage Beyond Imagination. Marriage Beyond Imagination. And so I want to do a bit of a thought experiment with you uh, today as we get started here. Um, If I were to ask you to stand up here and give a talk on that title, and that's all you got, you got the title, Marriage Beyond Imagination, what would be your list of priorities that you'd feel like you should talk about? Maybe you'd be thinking, okay, uh, marriage beyond imagination. Like, okay, you got to have communication, right? Like that's always the number one priority that the uh, therapists talk about, that you need to have stellar communication. Or, or, or maybe it's um, becoming best friends with your spouse or, or marrying your best friend in the first place. Um, how, how about uh, learning to laugh together? That was on a few lists that I looked up this week. Um, physical intimacy. Talk about that. Um, how about this one? How, how to not fight over finances in marriage. That seems kind of important. Um, a lot of times we hear about prioritizing date nights, uh, or, or maybe uh, get a little more spiritual, filling your husband's respect tank and your wife's love tank. Uh, that one is even derived out of the text that we are studying today. Let me just suggest it's not a very faithful der- derivation of the text that we are looking at today. Um, maybe if you get real spiritual, uh, you talk about praying or doing devotions together every day, or keeping Christ at the center. And and uh, and listen, like all of those things are great. Um, some of them are even necessary, but I believe that they all miss the mark of what it means for marriage to be beyond imagination. Because to understand how marriage is beyond imagination, you you have to look beyond the marriage itself to what it represents. A marriage that is beyond imagination is not one that makes the husband or the wife the focal point. A marriage that is beyond imagination is one that spotlights Christ and his bride the church. And today we're we're learning to view marriage from a a heavenly, you could even say cosmic perspective to to see that God has designed each marriage to point to his son and to his son's bride the church. And until we get that our our marriages will be less than what they ought to be. Our our marriages will be less than beyond imagination. See, the Lord wants us to use the marriage union to spotlight Christ's beautiful union with His church. That's our big idea for the day. Use the marriage union to spotlight Christ's beautiful union with His church. So your Bibles uh, should be open to Ephesians chapter 5. If you uh, don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back or in front of you or maybe on the end of the aisle. I would so encourage you to be looking at God's Word for yourself because the the authority is not in what I have to say this morning. The authority is in the Word of God. So Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. uh, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So we've been working our way through a study in the book of Ephesians, and the purpose of our study, and I would suggest the purpose of Paul's letter, is to pursue God's unimaginable vision for his church so that God would receive much glory. Pursue God's unimaginable vision for his church so that God would receive much glory. And so far, everything in this letter has been very focused in that direction. Uh, God's big cosmic plan for His church and about how the believers participate as members of that larger plan in the context of their own local churches. And He laid out the theology of all of that in chapters 1 to 3, and now He's applying that theology in chapters 4 through 6. And yet, in the section that we're studying today, it might seem to some like he he takes a sharp left turn off course. Like from a 21st century perspective, it's like Paul goes from church, 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 church to marriage. And I mean, there's not even like a conjunction to shift the topic from what we were studying last week. And so that seems pretty foreign to us. Because in today's society, we, we very much separate our lives, right? You have family life, and you have church life, and you have work life, and you have friend life, and it's all separate, right? And, and so these two things don't seem to just flow right together, and so, so how are we to follow Paul's train of thought here? How does this section on marriage fit into the whole purpose of Ephesians about God's vision for his church. Well, to Paul and to his original audience, uh, it would have been very, very clear. They would have understood exactly what he was doing because he, he uses a very familiar style in their day called a household code. And the household code in Ephesians, and you can find it in Colossians, you can find it in 1 Peter. The household code extends here all the way to chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, he talks about children and parents next, and then he talks about slaves and masters. And so there's this form that they would have like just picked up on right away. And the style was common in the Roman world because Romans understood that as goes the household, so goes the society. Paul understood that too. In fact, it wasn't really a Roman idea, it was a God idea first. As goes the household, so goes God's people. As goes the household, so goes God's church. We say it this way here at Oak Hill very often, healthy families make up healthy churches, and therefore healthy churches promote healthy families. The household is the major place where our walk with Christ gets lived out. But I want you to understand that even though Paul adopted the style that was common to his day, he did not adopt the content of the Roman household codes. Instead, he is giving a uniquely Christian understanding of marriage one that was not even understood by the Jews of his day because Paul is revealing a mystery about marriage that was hidden in ages past, that the mystery of marriage points us to Christ and the church. Paul is giving us a uniquely Christian understanding of marriage, and I want to point out that he is giving this to the whole church. This is for married couples to understand for sure, like he addresses them directly, and I'm going to address married couples directly on many occasions today, uh, but this is also for unmarried people to understand as well. Paul didn't say like, okay, I'm going to address this topic of marriage, and, and 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 so now is the time if you're not married, you can go take a bathroom break, or you can go check your phone, or whatever it is that you, that you might need to do for right now. No, no, no. He says this this marriage teaching is essential for the whole church to understand. Let me just break that down into a few different categories or thoughts for you. Um, Some unmarried people might want to get married at some point. If that's you here today, uh, this is something that you need to get figured out now before you even start picking someone to date. Like, don't don't go into that blind. Because your spiritual health depends on it. And that means the the spiritual health of of the whole church depends on you understanding what it means for a healthy marriage, for members to be uh, members of one another. Some unmarried people uh, might never plan to get married. And I want you to understand and know that is totally acceptable. And you can have a meaningful place meaningful place in God's unfolding plan for his church without being married. Hear that clearly from the lips of your leadership. In fact, God gives singleness as a gift to some so that they can accomplish even more for his kingdom. That's a topic for another day, but I'm more than happy to talk to anyone about that. But listen, all unmarried people, need to understand marriage because you are members together in the same body with people who are married. And you will need to speak the truth and love to them like we've been talking about. And you don't have to experience marriage itself. To be able to highlight the priorities that we're studying today, you don't have to be a personal expert on the topic. You you can humbly stand on the authority of God's word and encourage your brothers and sisters in their walk with the Lord as it relates to their spouse. You just need to be able to value marriage for what it is and for what God says it is, even if you don't have it or even if you don't want it for yourself. You need to be able to look at a married couple. And understand what you're looking at, which is a reflection of Christ and His church. I also want to acknowledge that there could be people here today who have been divorced. Or who have broken marriages. Maybe some who are are married to unbelievers. God's design for marriage is given to you so that you can look beyond your experience to see the beauty that God intends. And I just want to acknowledge that that is hard sometimes. That is hard in some circumstances. And we live in a broken and painful world where the ideal that's set is not always the reality. And we lament that. And it can be easy to give up on something God created simply because our experience doesn't play out that way. But that's what I want to urge you against this morning so that you would see the beauty in what God designed. Fight against being jaded or hopeless by looking to the greater picture of Christ and His church. Ultimately, God gave us marriage to get our eyes on the union of Christ and His church. And that's something that we all need, right? we all need must use the marriage union to spotlight Christ's beautiful union with his church. And so this this weekend, a lot of people started decorating their homes for Christmas, right? And, uh, I always loved, as a kid, going to the neighborhoods where uh, they had big, beautiful homes with big, beautiful budgets to decorate those homes, right? My, my dad was telling me that they're, they live in Hershey, and, and there's this whole street that just has this professional company come in and do the whole street, right? And I mean, it's kind of it's kind of crazy, but but one of the things that people do when they have a budget to do it, uh, is they don't just use little strands of Christmas lights. They, they use spotlights to light up the whole house so that you can see clearly the whole picture. And it makes a difference, doesn't it? I mean, look at that. That's just, man, that's more power to them. They don't just use one spotlight. They use many spotlights. And really, that's what we see going on in Ephesians chapter 5. In this text, we see three spotlights on Christ and the church that are shining from the marriage relationship. And the first is the spotlight of the wife. Wives spotlight the church's humble submission to Christ. Wives spotlight the church's humble submission to Christ. Look at verses 22 to 24 again. Uh, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Notice the wife's primary purpose in her role. It's to mirror or spotlight the church in her relationship to Christ. And really, that answers so many questions when it comes to this word submit that nobody really likes in our culture, right? Like, like, does a wife really need to submit to her husband? Well, let me answer that question with a question. Does the church really need to submit to Christ? Does the church really need to submit to Christ? Yes. On both counts they need that that means that a wife does need to submit to her husband. But then isn't this just a reflection of Paul's outdated culture of his day? Again, let me answer that question with a question. Is Christ's relationship with his church outdated? Of course not. You see, the idea of of submission is rooted not in the cultural perceptions of the day, but in the cosmic relationship to which it points. And wives spotlight the church's humble submission to Christ. Why? Because of the design. The, The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church there is a connection deep within God's design for marriage between the husband and the wife and Christ and the church. And that means that the idea of headship here must be defined by what it means for Christ to be the head of the church. So often when we're talking about this, you know, we want to maybe go to that definition of head and see if if there's anything that that we can, you know, kind of skirt around. Like maybe head means something other than uh, what we think that it means. But to help us understand that, we can go back to Paul's own words in Ephesians 1, and 23. It's going to be up on the screen for you, where, where Paul uses the word head in the same way. He says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So for Christ to be the head of the church means that he is over all things, that would be things in heaven and things on earth. He has authority over everything, and he uses that authority to direct his church, which is particularly his body. So headship in context means Authority, or maybe even more specifically, it means authority applied for the benefit of the body. Authority applied for the benefit of the body. And the marriage relationship is a small picture of that bigger reality, Paul is saying. The the husband is the head and the wife is part of his body. We're going to see that a lot in the later verses that we're going to study today, that the two are one flesh, right? And just as Christ has authority over all things and then uses that authority particularly for his body, the church, the husband is given authority and over everything in the home and uses that authority as the head of his body, which is his own wife. Let me be clear, we're not talking about every man having authority over every woman. That's not what the Bible talks about. Now, before you husbands get too excited about this idea of authority, and before you wives start to feel too deflated, we have to pause and we have to define authority from God's perspective, don't we? Because too often, we we can have a Christian definition of marriage, but then adopt the world's definition of authority and try to apply it to a Christian marriage. Here's what I mean. And here's what happens too often in the church. We say, the husband has authority in the home, which is all well and good, right? But then we... Use the world's definition of authority that says authority means absolute power and control that you can use however you want to benefit yourself usually. And then we try to apply that to this authority structure in the home. Like that's a recipe for disaster. Jesus acknowledged the fatal flaws of the world's view of authority. He said this, he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is clear, we cannot, as believers, adopt the world's definition of authority and then just apply it to God's design for the home and for the church. When God says that husbands have authority and therefore their wives are to submit in everything in the home, he is not saying that the husbands get to lord it over their wives. They do not get to sit back on their lazy boys and relish in their power and make their wives do their bidding. That would be a perversion of God's design. Biblical authority, biblical headship is about taking responsibility for what has been entrusted to you by laying down your life for them. Whoever would be Great among you. Whoever has authority. Notice he doesn't say that nobody's going to have authority or that there's not going to be any authority structures among God's people. He just defines how they're going to be used. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. He says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you could say it this way authority equals. The responsibility to lead by serving. Authority equals the responsibility to lead by serving. Husbands, we're going to come back to that in a minute. But hopefully that that gives you a sense now as to why wives are called to submit in everything in the home. Because the responsibility for everything has been given to husbands. It does not mean that wives do not have any personal responsibility, right? Their their responsibility is to fulfill their role. To submit, or as Genesis 2 puts it, to be a helpmate suitable for him. That is to work with their husbands toward the end to which God is leading their home. that that word helper that that is comes from Genesis 2 uh, by the way is is used also of the holy spirit right he's he's a helper it's not a, a less than role it's a a way to understand your seat in the car which is why submission also does not mean that wives are less in value in the Trinity, that the Son and the Spirit are described as submitting to the Father. And, and, and we learned last, a couple of weeks ago in, in our New City Catechism stuff, right? Like they are not less in value or less God than the Father, right? And so if submission is acceptable to two persons of the Godhead, I'm pretty sure you can embrace it too. It's okay. In fact, it's good. It also does not mean that wives are unintelligent or incapable. Our role, and we have to get this, like we have to get this in so many different places in life, right? Like our role, whether it's your job or your your mom or whatever it is, your role does not define who you are. It does not define your intelligence. It does not define your skill. And the women of this church are some of the most intelligent, strong, creative, skillful people I have ever met. They could run circles around me. And I am proud to call you my sisters. That's why it also does not mean that they never have a say in decision making. Any husband, any leader worth his salt is going to understand that his, his wife has a lot of skills and a lot of good ideas, and he's going to listen to her. Men, do you listen to your wives? You're like, yeah, better. Good leaders do not isolate themselves from the people they are leading. This, means, this also does not mean that the wife should submit to sinful or abusive leadership from her husband. He doesn't get to demand things for his, from, for himself from his wife as as the leader. That's an abuse of his role. It's 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 going stepping outside of the boundaries of the responsibility and authority God has given him. He he is called to lead through serving. And so, if there's some sort of abuse or 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 some sort of uh, sinful. Element of his leadership, a wife, here's, here's what she can do. She should seek out other authorities who are over him who will stand up and protect her. Whether that's legal authorities or spiritual authorities, we as elders are here for that purpose. Because we can call your husband to the higher standard to which he's called. It just depends on the issue. In today's culture, we have to go through all the things that submit does not mean, right? Because it's been so perverted, so abused. I still want us to come back to the fact that it does mean that the wife is called to submit. She is called to willingly place herself under the authority of her husband. Because ultimately, it is his responsibility before the Lord to use that authority to serve and care for the household. She gives input. She contributes a ton as his helpmate. She is form fit by the Lord, but he bears the responsibility. Just like Christ partners with his people to accomplish his his purposes of redemption, he, he works through the members of his body, but he ultimately bears responsibility for his church. And he himself is its savior. Wives, let me plead with you. Take the burden of control over your household off your shoulders and give it to the Lord. Take the burden of control over your household, off your shoulders, and give it to the Lord. That's ultimately what you're being called to when you're called to submit. Paul says, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. In other words, your submission is ultimately trusting the Lord with the outcomes. It's not ultimately trusting your husband Because the Lord has chosen to place the responsibility for your household upon the husband, for him to serve and lead your home in the purposes of Christ. And and that's not because God thinks less of you, like you can't handle it or something, or you can't, or you're going to mess it up. It's, It's because God cares for you. And that might seem totally out there to you. And you're like, I can't understand how that's care. Just trust him. He loves you and cares for you. And he's given you a unique position to help your husband fulfill God's purposes in your home. I could not do what I do in life, any of it, without Katie, my wife, doing what she does. And she would say vice versa. We, We look at each other all the time and we're like,
1: man, I'm
0: so grateful for you because I couldn't do this by myself. Like we're, we, we remind each other, we're together in this, managing our home, serving the kingdom. And yes, we have unique roles, but those roles should help the other person thrive in their role in such a way that gets all the attention onto Christ and his church. Your God-given responsibility as a wife is to demonstrate trust in the Lord that he knows what he's doing in ordering the home he knows what he's doing, and that's how you spotlight the church by trusting the Lord and showing how the church submits to Christ out of faith in him and, and I know that for some that that probably opens up a whole lot more questions than it provides clarity in terms of application and i I get that totally get that, and again. There are older women in our church, spiritually minded women who are willing to talk to you. Us elders are willing to talk to you. But let me just ask you for now, wives, is your spotlight shining in the right direction? And how bright is it? See, so often wives push back at submission because they think it puts an undeserved spotlight on their husbands. They think if if I submit to him, he's just going to take advantage of that and I'm going to lose dignity and control. Or they think um, I'll submit to him when he becomes worthy of that submission, when he becomes worthy of respect. But that shines the spotlight in the wrong direction, right? The wife's spotlight must not be pointed on her husband, highlighting all of his flaws. It also must not be pointed on herself, highlighting all of the reasons why she is more qualified to to lead in the home. It must be pointed on the church's humble submission to Christ. Her job is to show the beauty of the church. Again, this is written to the whole church, and so Paul wants us to help each other in this. Uh, Women, all women now, when you are together, encourage those who are married to stay focused on the bigger picture. Encourage them in their role so that their spotlight on the role of the church would shine more brightly. If you hear complaints about husbands, call them on it. Call them on it. Of course, there are legitimate concerns about a lack of leadership or or, or even maybe abuse that might be shared and to, to direct that in the proper place. Help them in that, come alongside them in that. But if it's just complaints about like not liking something about their husband or his leadership, call them on it. And men, we can go a long way in supporting this role of the wife by treating women with honor in general. This is beyond just husbands and wives now, just treating women with respect and honor. See, the more that we value all women, first as our sisters in Christ, who have intrinsic worth and a ton to bring to the table, the more that we're going to undercut any fleshly argument that this biblical design is just about male chauvinism. The more that we avoid the abuses of headship, the more that we highlight the beauty of a wife submitting to her own husband. See, Christian women are our sisters. They're created in the image of God, gifted for the work of God, and given a specific and valuable role in the church and the family, and that's the environment in which this whole vision of of marriage will thrive. And this vision of marriage will ultimately serve that greater purpose for the women of the church best. As those who have been given authority in our own homes, we we, we men need to take the responsibility that comes with that authority. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word Husbands, spotlight Christ's sacrificial love for the church. Husbands, spotlight Christ's sacrificial love for the church. Husbands, your role is not about you. It's not even about your wife. It's about Christ. It's about Christ. Christ. Paul teaches that that the method of of the husband's leadership must be the same self-giving, self-sacrificial love that Christ demonstrated for the church. Anything short of sacrificial love is a neglect of your responsibility to lead the home. That is a massive and weighty command. Do you feel the weight of it? Do you feel the weight of it? The husband's job is to provide the type of leadership to his wife that makes it natural for her to submit if she's walking in Christ. But before we get to how husbands are to do that, uh, Paul fixes our eyes on Christ. Husbands, get your eyes on Christ right now. Get your eyes on Christ right now because you can't do this without Him. Don't be dwelling on all your shortcomings and all your failures and and miss what Christ has done for you. Christ has given Himself for His church of which you are a part. That He might sanctify her. that, That is, so that He would make her Holy. Understand, God's main goal is to to make us holy. And He's using our marriages to do that. Uh, And and He's using a million other things to do that. He, He gave Himself up to sanctify His church, and He did that by the cleansing her with the by the washing of water with the Word. Now, this is a very confusing phrase, a very debated phrase. I'm gonna give you the bottom line to my study so that we can keep moving, okay? By the cleansing of water, the first phrase, Paul probably is referring to the metaphor of marriage itself. The bride would go through ritual purification so that she would not be unclean for her husband. So that part refers to the metaphor. And then the second phrase, with the word probably then refers to the spiritual application of that metaphor. The way that Christ cleanses his bride is with the word. That is, with the gospel. Christ's goal is a, a radiant bride whom he can present to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ is purifying a bride for Himself in the church that will not have one single imperfection. Every one of them will be washed and transformed by His work on the cross. And we will one day stand before Him in complete and holy splendor, in radiance. Christ's job is is that He is getting us ready for heaven. And husbands, He's done that for you. He's, he's continuing that work in you as His church. And it's with our eyes fixed on Jesus and what He has done for us that we must go about our role. We can't do it without that. Husbands, we need to see here that, there, that, that we are only here to spotlight the work of Christ in the way that we relate to our bride. We aren't here for ourselves. We aren't ultimately here for her. We are in our position of husband because of him. We are in this position because he placed us there and he entrusted us with the responsibility to lead our wives in his purposes. If that doesn't drive you to humble, dependent prayer, I don't know what does. Now, we can't sanctify our wives in exactly the same way. We're we're not their savior. Let that be clear to both husbands and wives. Paul does not say here that husbands sanctify or save their wives. But he takes this analogy and he says, in the same way that, that Christ works to purify the church as his bride and he seeks to produce splendor in her, we are called to nourish and cherish our bride. You see that in verse 28. In the same way, so this is the part now for husbands. This is how we apply what Christ has done. In the same way, husbands should should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Nourishing and cherishing, that's our job description. That's the reflection of Christ's sanctifying work that we husbands are to imitate. And while we can't make our wives holy, we can and must nourish and cherish them as our own bodies. So the word nourish means to nurture, to feed, to provide for. And it's actually the same word As bring up in chapter 6 verse 4. When he says bring up children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word for bring up and the word for nourish is the same Greek word. And the idea here is that a husband would provide everything that the wife needs to flourish. He's taking responsibility for her physical and spiritual well-being so that he would bring out all of the God-gifted beauty and talent and giftedness that is in her so that together they can have a greater impact for the kingdom than they ever could apart. He's providing the environment in which she will thrive in the purposes and calling God has placed on their lives in their togetherness. And in order to do that, he's he's listening to her, he's understanding what she needs, and then he's working with her and with the Lord to nourish her. So this would include paying attention to her physical needs. Does she have basic food, shelter, and clothing that she needs? Does she have the opportunity to get out of the house and care for her mental and spiritual well-being in whatever way that looks like? The husband is to do that in the same way as he would care for his own body. So he's not providing her with the baseline minimum needs and then go indulging himself, right? No, no, no. He's he's cherishing her. He's nourishing her, rather. He's he's working hard to generously provide, generously provide for her physical needs. Now, there are times when, when a husband or wife might decide for one reason or another that that she's going to need to come along in that and and provide for the physical needs of the home. It, it is not breaking this command that, that a wife would work outside the home or that she would make money. The Proverbs 31 woman worked hard and made a lot of money and she made a good name for herself and for her husband. This does not mean that she should never manage the details of the finances. I've heard that application before, like like the husband has to be the one to keep the budget or whatever it is or pay the bills like that's ridiculous and, and we need to be careful and I, I want us to to bring a principle to bear on this. We need to be careful to not demand more cultural applications than what the Word of God actually says okay, so sometimes we take historical, traditional applications of the roles and assign them to what God's Word actually says in the roles. We can't do that. We have to be very careful about that. In, in and in a lot of times that's in response to, I don't want to be, you know, over here with feminism and I don't want to be over, you know, don't react. Look at what God's Word says. The bottom line is, husbands, uh, make sure you're, you're taking responsibility for the physical needs of your wife. Christlike husbands here also pay attention to the spiritual needs of your wife. Well, that gets hard. Is your wife getting the time she needs away from the responsibilities of work in the home to spend time with Jesus? We need to have a pulse on that, husbands. Is she walking in the love of God and in the light of God and in the wisdom of God like we talked about last week? Are you encouraging or discouraging her spiritual walk with the Lord in the example you leave. Leadership is more about example than it is about the words we say. Ask her questions about her spiritual walk. Understand where she's at with the Lord and understand where the Lord might want to grow her and and then lead her there. We'll just demand things, but lead her there. We are called to be spiritual leaders, men. And our wives are hungry for that, I believe. And so don't make her drag you along. Lead out. Challenge her. Believe that, that God has a great and awesome plan for her. Physical and spiritual needs are wrapped up in the word nourish, but the word cherish is a lot about emotional needs and paying attention to her emotions. So the Greek word for cherish literally means to soften by heat. To soften by heat. I love that. Husbands, your wife should sense a warmth coming from you That softens her, that makes her soft to the Lord's leadership through her. It is one thing to nourish your wife, it's one thing to sacrifice and work day and night so that her physical needs are cared for. But listen, do you cherish your wife? Do you cherish your wife? If I were to ask her, does she feel cherished? Listen, I I know that there are a lot of things outside of your control in which some wives are going to have a harder time feeling cherished than others, but do you do everything in your ability, in Christ's ability through you, to cherish her? To listen to her? To help her know that you have her well-being as your primary concern. To hear what is burdening her or exciting her. To help her feel secure in your love. That's, That's cherish. Nourish and cherish. That's how Christ cares for His church. Because we are members of his body and that's how husbands can spotlight the sacrificial love of Christ through their role in the home. And so husbands, is your spotlight shining in the right direction? And how bright is it? Again, it can be be so easy to focus on how our wives aren't submitting or are making our leadership difficult. It, It can be easy to think that when they start respecting us more, we can start loving them better. It can be easy to focus on the flaws in our wives instead of how we're nourishing and cherishing them to help them grow. And when we do that, we're we're pointing the spotlight in the wrong direction. We gotta keep the spotlight on Christ. It's about him, not you, not her. And so we have to see Christ and what he has done for you as part of his church, and then we can extend the sacrificial love to our wives. He's, he's our motivation and our goal, he's our sustaining power. Back to that illustration about the spotlight on the Christmas. the the Christmas spotlights on the houses, right? Like where do those spotlights get their power? Well, if it's rigged up right from the house itself. And so the very thing that we're shining light onto is the very thing that empowers us as husbands to walk in that way. He's our sustaining power. He's our motivation and goal. For those of you who are not in the role of husband, Do everything that you can to build up husbands in their role. The world hates the idea of strong male leadership. They mock it and tear it down at every opportunity. And for sure, we should tear down the machismo perversions of this. But we don't do that when we tear down the real thing. We do that by holding up the real thing. Women, see the men in our church as your brothers in Christ. Root for them. Encourage them. Cheer them on in their roles. Don't despise or covet the responsibility they have given by the Lord, but understand the sober reality of it and all that it means. Ultimately, we all benefit when we hold up marriage because marriage is about Christ and His church. Wives spotlight the church's humble submission to Christ. Husbands spotlight Christ's sacrificial love for the church. And together they spotlight Christ's oneness with the church. Together they spotlight Christ's oneness with the church. So this is what takes marriage beyond imagination. Get ready for your mind to be blown in this. That from the beginning, Marriage was about Christ's oneness with his church. All throughout the passage, Paul has used this one body language to describe both the husband and the wife and Christ and the church. Verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Verse 28, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Verse 30, we are members of his body. And we might think, okay, is this just a metaphor that Paul just keeps pressing too hard seems kind of weird right but but it's not just a metaphor it's the reality of both marriage and the church Paul quotes Genesis 2:24 to prove it he says therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh and if we go back to Genesis 2:24 we see that God is in the process of creating Adam and Eve And he's already created Adam, and he's creating Eve out of Adam's rib as a helper suitable for him. The the verse is clearly about marriage. That, that, That a man leaves the care and protection of his parents, and he unites himself, body and soul, to his wife in such close intimacy that they can be described as one flesh. Now, now, sometimes people limit that to the sexual relationship of marriage, right? But it, it includes that, but it also includes relationship and spiritual intimacy, what we might call total oneness or total intimacy. And, and Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no man celebrate. Se- separate, sorry. Definitely celebrate it, don't separate it. Listen, God is the one who makes a married couple one. You might think, well, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I married the wrong person. God is the one who makes a married couple one. Our job is to work out that oneness in the roles that He's given us. And Paul is saying that God has also made another relationship one the relationship between Christ and His church. The church is in Christ. We've been talking about that a lot, right? We are his body and we became his body when we became his bride. And hidden in the creation words of Genesis 2.24 and therefore hidden within the marriage design itself is a mystery that was hidden for ages past and now for the first time ever in the book of Ephesians, Paul is revealing what this mystery refers to. That it refers to Christ in the church. The mystery, the the mystery of Genesis 2.24 is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, verse 33, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In other words, don't think that just because it it refers to Christ and the church, it's not referring to you. The oneness of your marriage is not about you husband. It's not about you, wife. It's about Christ and his church. And as each spouse fulfills their role, the beauty of Christ's relationship with his church is put on display for all to see. That's what's at stake in your marriage. Fight for it. Fight for it. Christ is restoring all that was lost in the Garden of Eden, the relationship between the husband and wife that was ruined by sin, and the relationship between God and His people. And the church is a new humanity being recreated after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, and we demonstrate that new humanity when we walk within our roles as husbands and wives and so spotlight the relationship between God and His people. And that's why Paul says, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is not about getting your tank full. This is not about your needs. This whole thing is about Christ and his church. And you pursue oneness to spotlight him. And so married couples, I'll ask you together, is your spotlight shining in the right direction? And how bright is it? Is your oneness pointing others to the oneness of Christ and his church? We get a greater understanding of the abstract concepts like union with Christ when we begin to understand God's design for marriage. Is your oneness helping your kids see how beautiful Christ's relationship with this church really is? Is your oneness an example of that reality to our teenagers and young adults who would be thinking about who they date? Or are they looking at you and saying, man, that marriage thing looks awesome? Or are they just looking at the world and saying, hey, that looks good too? Can the watching world see why the exclusivity of Christ's relationship with His church is essential based on your exclusive love for your spouse? Listen, if you aren't married, I want to close by helping you understand something about this. Uh, Marriage is a beautiful thing. It is an amazing way to understand Christ's love more And for God to make you more holy. And if God has that for you, awesome. But only if it's within God's design. Because that's where God shows off His work. And I want to make this clear as well. You don't need to be married to experience true intimacy. You don't need to be married to experience... God's relationship with His church. Christ has become one flesh with His church. He is sufficient to nourish and cherish you as a member of His body. And often you'll receive that nourishment through the fellowship of the church. True intimacy is found for those who are single within the fellowship of the church. It's not intimacy that includes sex, but it is intimacy in a true and full way. And there's an even better intimacy that can be had with Christ and experienced as a member of His body. A place to know and be known, to love and be loved by Christ Himself and to experience that love and grace through His people. We see that clearly when we spotlight and honor God's union with Christ through the marriage relationship. It was never about the marriage itself. From the beginning of time, it was always about the bigger picture. And so whether you are single, divorced, young, old, or married, use the marriage relationship to spotlight Christ's beautiful union with His church. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.